get your uh, your copy of God's Word. Just turn with me to Mark chapter one. Um, and for those of you that attend my Wednesday night Bible study, you'll recognize this passage uh, because a few weeks ago I gave you this as an assignment, and uh, I asked you to walk through this with some questions and um, um, maybe see what the Lord would teach you and. We had a great and an incredible discussion that night. We, we sat around and discussed it. And this week, as, as I prepared for this morning, I, I meditated for a, for a good portion of the week on a totally different text of Scripture. And um, as I began to, to really um, piece things together, I, I felt the Lord impress on my heart that, that in light of the election this week and some things going on in the life of our church, that... But this is a pretty incredible passage that needs to be um, shared. You know, I have entitled the message our ultimate authority. Authority is, is a word that's very, um, it's not accepted very much in our society or like it used to be. Uh, authority is not a bad word in itself. Bad authority is a bad word, uh, a bad concept. But authority is something that the Scripture says is ordained by God. Uh, whether that's governmental authority, whether that's uh, parental authority, um, there, there's this, this concept in Scripture is that authority is ordained by God and uh, with God hosting, holding the ultimate authority. You know, in light of uh, so much uncertainty around us, whether it's political uncertainty, there's a lot of anxiety going on regarding the election, um, physical uncertainty, uh, that is that uh, there's so much illness and loss going on around us, there's so many... Uh, ways that we encounter the reality that life can be out of control. We can know that, that, that in the face of all types of un- uncertainty, there is one certainty who promises us that He stands by us and with us and will carry us through. Scripture says that we are to cast our anxiety on Him because He cares for us. That we're not to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries in itself. Therefore, though we face so much uncertainty, we're told not to worry. Uh, We're told to trust Him. And so as we look to Jesus today, um, I want us to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged that even though we face so much uncertainty, we can rest in Him. We We can sit at His feet and we can trust His power and presence in our lives in the face of uncertainty. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew. Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's read together from Mark chapter 1 as we think about this concept. I want to read it all uh, because it makes more sense when you read it all together. So, verse number uh, 21 of Mark chapter 1. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Now, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? 
What new doctrine is this? For, for with authority he commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout the region around Galilee. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came, and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak, because they knew it. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogue throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing to be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Read with me in chapter 2. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the words of them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. When they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on, the par on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit, they reasoned thus within themselves. He said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Take up your bed and go home. Immediately he arose. He took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. 
Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not call, come to call the righteous, but sinners, sinners to repentance. That's a lot of text, right? Whew. Let me give you some thoughts about our ultimate authority. Number one is this. Jesus is our ultimate authority. He demonstrates authority in His teaching. The Scripture says that when they heard Him teach, they were amazed at what He had to say because He spoke as one who had authority. That is, when Jesus stood before them, He was not telling somebody else's story. He was not telling something that men of old were saying. He was not reading commentaries and delivering messages based on the thoughts of men. When Jesus stood as the Son of God with the Word of God in His head, in His heart, and He began to speak, there was an authority that Jesus had in the message because He was the, the living Word of God. He, he speaks with authority. That is, He knows what He's talking about way more than anybody that, that was hearing Him or anybody that would have been teaching in that context. And so they, they recognize there's something unique, there's something special about Jesus. He has an authority they've never seen before. Now listen to me this morning. We must begin with this truth. Jesus is authority in our lives. You understand this morning that Jesus is authority. He is the very Son of the living God. He is the God-man in Himself. 100% God and 100% man. You work out the math and understand that Jesus Christ is God, the authority sent by God the Father for us to know who God is and how God operates. And what He does in His teaching is He gives us a basis of authority for our life. That is, that if He's the authority, you and I can trust Him. Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 6, um, what did He say? Uh, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. What does that mean? That means that, that He is the truth. And that truth is authority for our lives. Though, though we wrestle with authority, though there are sometimes we, we want to rebel against authority, our natural man wants to rebel at all times, but though Sometimes, even as believers, we say we believe the Bible. We say we believe Jesus. We have to recognize that if He is authority, then we are submitting to Him. What He says goes. How He calls us to live goes. Jesus is authority. John chapter 16, um, verse 13, Jesus said, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. He will disclose to you whatever is to come. What's he talking about? He's talking about this. If you and I need to know the truth, if we need to know what the authority says, then he, through the Holy Spirit, has come to live in us, to teach us that authority. You and I must begin this morning with this. We must begin with an understanding. Jesus Christ is to be the authority in your life. Jesus Christ is to be the authority in my life. 
That means He has authority over my emotions. He has authority over, over the teaching that I hear. He is the authority, and if that teaching I hear does not coincide with the Scripture, with the Word of God, then that has no authority in my life, those teachers. So I submit to His authority, and He leads me. The second thing I want you to see, the second major thing I want you to see is that Jesus has authority in His ministry. He has authority in His teaching. You and I can know we can know God by what Jesus has done, how Jesus has lived, and what Jesus teaches us. And we can trust Him and trust His teaching. But when we look at His life, we can, be, we can recognize His authority and how it applies to our lives today. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And if He did it in Scripture, He can do it today. And so we are to trust Him and understand His ministry. Well, the first thing I would say to you in His ministry is this. Jesus has authority over demons. Now look, there's a difference between demons and ghosts. As a matter of fact, let me just put it to you straight. Ghosts are baloney. There is no biblical precedent for ghosts. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that absent from the body to be present with the Lord. I don't care how many movies you watch or how many Discovery Channel specials you see chasing ghosts all over the world, that there are no such thing as ghosts. Spirits do not hover over the earth to torment us when, when they die. It doesn't happen that way. But what you do find in Scripture is the presence of the demonic. The demonic. The, the, the demons of hell, those cast out of heaven in following Satan, uh, they, they have an active role in our... How do we know that? Well, you see it in Scripture. The Bible says that when King Saul rebelled against the Lord, he rebelled against the Lord, he rebelled against the Lord, it says that a, a, a demonic spirit came over him. Well, you see here, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and one of the members of the synagogue, there was a man in their synagogue. Y'all read that? He was in the synagogue, and he had an unclean spirit. That means that there was this demon possession in the middle of them. Well, look, I don't want to, we can't get into, into the depths of that, but, but the demonic influence is real. You turn the TV on. Turn on the, the radio. There, there's some serious demonic influence. That is, influences that, that would distract away from the Lord, that would, that would try and convince us that there's an authority other than the Lord, and would try and draw us away from the Lord. There, it's a reality. Now, here it is expressed in a de demonic possession. That is a demon taking over a person. By the way, let me say this. If you are in Christ, there's not enough room for demons because He fills you up. you understand that? You're in Christ. Demons have no authority over you because Jesus is authority over the demonic. Amen? So don't be running around fearing demons going to get you. Not, it doesn't work that way. Trust Jesus. In the, in the presence of Jesus, what do they do? What do the demons do? They tuck tail and run. They're gone. When Jesus said, get out, what do they do? They closed their mouths and they got out of the man. They listened to him. Why? Because Jesus has authority over the demonic. The second thing I would say to you is this. When you read this passage and you see the, the, the power of Christ's authority over living, 
you recognize that Jesus has authority over disease. Can I tell you this morning that the, the diagnosis of disease is no respecter of persons. Is no respecter of persons. We cannot approach a diagnosis to say, what have I done to bring this on myself? It's not about that. The Bible says that, that it rains on the just and on the unjust. It's no respecter of persons. It's beyond anyone's control and can happen to anyone at any time. But for the grace of God, I am. Well, here, regardless, here's the diagnosis. Uh, He comes out of the synagogue. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house. By the way, let me just state that again. Peter's mother-in-law. That's significant for some folks. But Peter had a mother-in-law. And he goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house. And what's going on? She's, She's sick doesn't tell us everything about it. It just says she was sick with a fever. doesn't matter what the disease was because when Jesus showed up, guess what happened? The disease disappeared. The Bible says he reached out his hand. He took her by the hand and he lifted her up. And the fever was gone. Let me tell you something. It wasn't Tylenol that got, it, got rid of it for three hours. It wasn't Advil that lasted for four it was that Jesus touched her hand and it was gone. It was gone because Jesus has authority over disease. Doesn't matter what the illness is, it's no match for Jesus. No match for Jesus. She was healed. Third thing I would tell you is this He has authority over death, over physical death. Scripture says in verse 40 that there was a leper that came to him. Y'all understand a little bit about leprosy. Leprosy is a disease of the skin that, uh, that, that leads to a physical, physical wasting away. When a person in this time was diagnosed with leprosy, they were put outside of the city. They were put out away from their family, away from their friends. They were ostracized and put out until they died. There was no hope for them. It was humiliating. As a matter of fact, when they came within so much, so so much distance from others, that um, that they had to scream, "Unclean, unclean, unclean," so that nobody else could come around them. But you notice when this leper came into sight of Jesus, what did he do? He began to cry out to Jesus. He cried out to Jesus, and he said, "He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean." I think that's significant for us to understand. Our placement of faith is not in whether or not God wills to do it. Our faith is based in, grounded in the fact that God can do it. There's nothing God can't do. And so this, this cry from the heart of God's people, or this cry from the heart of this leper is this, Lord, if you want to, you can. The Bible says that Jesus, recognizing His faith, he did something nobody else would do. He didn't go over and bandage his sore. He didn't go over and pat him on the back, tell him it's all going to be okay. What Jesus did is he walked over and he touched him. He touched him and said, I will be clean. And in the word, death, in, in, in the word of Jesus, death was avoided in that instance. Because the leprosy ran away. I'll tell you something this morning. 
when he mentioned that God knows the number of our days, he knows the number of hairs on our head, God knows everything about us. Until God declares our time is done, death has no hold on Jesus. Death has no hold on us. So we can rest assured in Him knowing that if He's willing, He can without a doubt make us clean. Immediately, it was gone. We see that in Lazarus, uh, uh, raised there after four days in a resuscitation. Uh, we see that in Jesus when three days uh, after His his burial, the, the, the stone rolled away and Jesus burst forth in victory. Uh, Porkchop and I went this week to... Um, uh, Mississippi Baptist Convention at the pastor's conference on Monday. We heard Pastor Robert A. Smith. He's, he's a professor of preaching at Beeson Divinity School. Listen to what he said. I love this. I had to write it down. I get to share it with you today. This is what he said. Jesus was not afraid of death because when death met Jesus, death died. Jesus has power, authority, over physical death. But also, I'll tell you this morning, Jesus has authority over spiritual death. Look at the next encounter. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, Jesus is uh, entering into Capernaum and, and He goes into a house and He's preaching to them. And all of a sudden, stuff begins to fall around it. Fall from the rooftop because there are four men carrying a friend of theirs and they're so eager to get their 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 paralyzed friend to Jesus that they rip the roof off. They rip layer after layer off just so they can let Je- let this, this paralyzed man down to see Jesus. And, and when he comes down, what does Jesus say to them? Jesus says, looks at him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's not what they came for, was it? They came to see him walk again. But Jesus met a need that was far deeper than the physical need. It was a spiritual need. And when Jesus meets a spiritual need, he doesn't do it half-heartedly. He's, he's all in, folks. He's all in. He looks at him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Everybody around him. They're good Pharisees. Who does this guy think he is? How is it he thinks he can... He can uh, forgive sins. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. You know what? That ought to have been a light bulb moment for them. They ought to go, this guy must have some connection to God. But they didn't. They just murmured and murmured and murmured. And Jesus looked at them and says, hey, let me tell you this. What's easier? To say your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up off your bed and walk again? But just so you know the answer, just so you know how powerful I am and what authority I have, Jesus says, Hey, fellas, son, get up, take up your bed, and go home. What'd he do? Are you sure? I ain't walked in a long time. No, he got up! And he rolled up his mat and he went home praising the Lord because Jesus had not only met the physical need, He had given Him something that nobody else could. He overcame the spiritual death in His life. That's what Jesus does. He has authority over spiritual death. He declares His forgiveness, demonstrating the fullness of what was to come through His death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus here declares Him forgiven, but when He goes to the cross, 
when He dies as a payment, as a substitute sacrifice for my sin and for your sin, He pays the penalty for our, uh, our sin to give us life. When He raises on the third day, not only are we forgiven, we are instituted, we are right before God, and we are granted eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were spiritually dead. There's no way you can come to Christ on your own. There's no way you can earn a favor with God. There's no way you can get in there. There's no way, there's no way, there's no way but God. Ephesians chapter 2, I think verse 4. But God. God steps in and overcomes spiritual death by sacrificing His Son for you and me. Fifth thing I want to tell you is this. He's authority over demons. He's authority over disease. He's authority over physical death. He's authority over spiritual death. And you're reading that right. He has authority over dummies. When you read that next encounter, he calls Matthew to come follow me. Matthew's not the dummy. Matthew's pretty small. He sees Jesus, he believes Jesus, trusts Jesus, and he leaves everything and he begins to follow him. He takes Jesus to his house and he gathers his friends, tax collectors and sinners. These are the people that people that, that, that these religious leaders despise. These um, religious leaders can't stand because the tax collectors had sold out to Rome. They had uh, forsaken their heritage and they had began... They, had, they, they sold out to, to get more possessions to become wealthy. The sinners, who knows what they are. There's probably some prostitutes there. There's probably some uh, gamblers. There's, there's some people that uh, touch dead bodies. There are people that have become unclean for this or that. Maybe there's some adulterers there. Uh, that, that doesn't bother Jesus. Jesus is not going there to celebrate their sin. Jesus is going to rescue them from it. And in order for them to be rescued from their sin, guess what they've got to do? They've got to encounter Jesus. Very similar to us today. Then the Pharisees begin to grumble and complain. Now, who are the Pharisees? There are two groups of leaders that make up the Sanhedrin. There are the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees are not just religious leaders. They are heavily involved in politics. Actually, that's the Sadducees. Pharisees were legalists according to the law. They wanted to separate from Rome. The Sadducees were, uh, they weren't legalistic toward the law. They were trying their best to, to, to bring the, the law, to, to reconcile, to, to operate uh, both in the religious sphere and the political sphere. And so what happens is that, that these are not just religious leaders, they're political leaders, and they're the ones who are complaining and moaning about this powerful, incredible authority that Jesus had. See my correlation? I've told you this before. You've heard it time and time again. It does not matter who is elected on Tuesday. Whoever is elected on Tuesday and becomes the next president of the United States of America has no bearing on the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. If we're not careful what happens to us is this. It becomes a cliche 
and we hear it, and yeah, we, we agree with it, but, but it really doesn't impact our lives so much. But folks, when we begin with an understanding that Jesus is authority, and that His teaching is authority for our lives, and we surrender ourselves under Him, then when we encounter the demonic, we know Jesus Christ is Lord. When we encounter disease and and that bad diagnosis, we can stand to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. When we encounter physical death, we can stand in the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. When we encounter the new life, when we encounter someone who's spiritually dead, we know that the only hope they have is Jesus. Yet we can stand boldly and proclaim the gospel that Jesus saves. Why? Because we know that the hope we have is available to them and Jesus Christ is Lord. And we know that whoever sits in the Capitol building of the state of Mississippi or the mayor's office of Eskridge or the White House in Washington, D.C., we don't have to fear. We don't have to fade. We don't have to quit because Jesus Christ is Lord. And for you and me today, Jesus Christ needs to be Lord. Not in our lips, but in our lives. Would you declare with me today Jesus Christ is Lord? Maybe this morning you need to be saved. Look, He's not going to be Lord of your life if you're still harboring sin. Would you trust Jesus? Christian, you wear a title. But it's time that we come back to that, that anchor, that foundation of our faith to know and live that Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you declare that today? Would you declare it publicly today? I'm going to invite our I invite Todd and our musician to come and our, our prayer team. Some of you have agreed to pray. We've got folks that will pray with you. They'll, they'll be right up here in just a moment. And as, as, as you need prayer today, they'll, come, they'll pray with you. I'd be honored to as well. You come and lay your life down. Jesus, you are Lord. And I yield my life wholly and completely to you today, tomorrow, and forever. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You are Lord of our lives. God, I thank You that when we read Your Scripture, we can see that authority. And Lord, how, how You uh, display that authority with grace and compassion, with a gentle touch or a spoken word. Lord, Your authority is displayed over and over in our lives as we trust in You. And Father, today there's some here that are lost without You. They've never trusted You. And they hear Your call today. They know their sin in their lives. They know that the only hope they have is to give their lives to You. I pray that You give them faith to trust the finished work of Christ in the death, burial, and resurrection. I pray, Lord, that they would surrender as Lord to You as Lord of their lives. Father, for Christians, Lord, there's so much fear, there's so much uncertainty in those of us who declare our faith in You. God, would You grant us faith today to lay our lives down before You as Lord. Whatever our situation, whatever our need, You are Lord. 
pray that in this moment, we would once again restore our trust and faith solely in you. In Jesus' name I pray.